Tuesday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. You can visit their website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on what they have available and how it can improve your daily life. That's what they're all about, helping people live a better life. Artisan Botanicals, Midwest City. Again, easy to order on the website, abotanicalcompany.com. Easy and safe pickup. So ask questions, uh, educate yourself, and start living a better life with Artisan Botanicals. All right, big show today. Got to talk a lot of college football playoff, uh, a lot of just college football in general, and with COVID seemingly being on the rise in every conference across the country, what's the best move for college football going forward? Um, Would they even consider maybe a week delay across the board and pushing back conference championship games if, if we start seeing Ohio State and Oklahoma and multiple teams not be able to play multiple games down the stretch of this regular season. So I think it's an interesting conversation. We'll also talk a little bit about the NFL and uh, everything going on in the football world. So my guest today is Eric G. with the Tulsa Sports Animal, co-host of the Pat Jones Show, joining me on the Colby Daniels Podcast. Eric G. is my guest. Eric, what is going on? How was your Thanksgiving? Glad to have you back. Well, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much for having me back. It's a a huge week here in the G household. One, my youngest son today is turning 12, which if you look at it, he looks like he's about 20 years old now. So the fact that he's 12 is just somewhat strange. Two, my oldest son will participate in the 6A1 state championship game when Edmund Santa Fe takes on Jinx this week. And three... Allison Chains is getting uh, honored by the Museum of Pop Art tonight, which if you can RSVP and watch that thing online, it's going to be really cool. Uh, Metallica, Ann Wilson from Heart, uh, Nancy Wilson from Heart are going to be there, Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. So if you want to waste about a good two hours, three hours of your time tonight with some really cool music, that's definitely worth uh, worth your investment there. So that's just a, big a little time. public service announcement. I like how it's we. A lot of fun. I like how we b- breezed right through the birthday and the state championship, and the focus was really put on Allison Chains. <laughs> well, you know, Colby, what are they teaching for? <laughs> Don't be a homer. Don't that's be a right, homer. That's right. You know, absolutely. Don't bury the lead. <laughs> uh, that's, who's, who's Santa Fe playing? I, I had heard that they had punched their ticket to that game, but I, I who are they playing? They are playing Jinx and. Um, the interesting thing about that game is one, Jinx is red hot right now. And and so it's obviously so is Santa Fe. And Santa Fe probably played their best game of the year this last week when they beat Tulsa Union. But what's interesting is that last year Santa Fe actually went to Jinx and ended up beating them there. So I would think that, you know, especially since you got by Union and you beat beaten Jinx once, the intimidation factor of playing someone outside the East, especially a school that over the last 25 years has been either them or Union in the state championship, that part of that intimidation factor is actually gone for Santa Fe, which is big, which is big. Because at that age, it's all a mental game. And I think it's really easy to get caught up into the, oh my God, we're playing these guys. And sometimes your coaches, uh, like the coaches I had, they can make 
somebody out to be bigger and badder than what they actually are. But I think the Santa Fe staff has done a pretty good job of kind of taking that shine off Jinx for them. And we'll see how they respond on uh, on Saturday. But I, I do get the feeling just watching these kids over these last three weeks, they've got a lot of confidence going into this game. So this, this could actually be it. This could be the first time since, God, you got to go back to the mid-90s, and I think it's Midwest City. Uh, it could be the first time since then that you actually see a team from the West win the state championship in that class. And it's not going to happen often. Um, and I'd be surprised if it happened next year. But if, if Santa Fe wins one, that's one that probably ought to be celebrated embraced and embraced by everybody in this part of the state. Had the Jinx Union streak began when you were in Norman? The Jinx Union Street, no, I'm older than that. The Jinx Union Street, 25 years ago. See, when I was in Norman, it, when I, when I was, when I, I'm old enough that when I was in, when I was going to school at Norman High, the West Side dominated. Um, and it was really in that big class, which was 5 8 at the time. It was kind of, you know, Midwest City, Lawton, Ike, um, Putnam North. Uh, us Norman, we were kind of we were kind of running the state, and then how would I either right before I graduated college or right after I graduated college is when you saw Jinx and Union separate from the pack. And what's interesting about them separating from the pack is that Owasso has gotten so good over the last few years under Bill Blankenship. Broken Arrow's really good, uh, and they just fired their head coach this week. And we're having him on our show today. And Bigsby's gotten real good, and we'll move up to, to 6A1 before too long. So instead of it being kind of a, a two-horse race in the East, you're not looking at five, at five schools every year that could potentially win the championship. And if Santa Fe gets it done this year, it's somewhat of a miracle because I don't see, I don't see anyone coming out of the West that, that's going to be able to do it on, on a regular basis. I mean, that, that, the way things are set up in, in the state of Oklahoma, the East just has everything going for them. I mean, those people up there are so committed to being good at sports and, and football, and they're they're really smart. They haven't split the schools, and there's no desire to split the schools. So for the foreseeable future, it, it's going to remain that way. So this is it. I mean, this is this is that rare time where – Things just kind of played out the right way. And if Santa Fe gets it done, then all of a sudden, you know, you've got some good talking points, but I wouldn't expect that to ever, under any circumstances, be the norm. I'm trying to remember if an Edmond school has been in a state championship since, like, the 90s. Because I remember when I first moved to Edmond, and I want to say it was, I was in, like, sixth grade, but I believe that year, uh, at the the Edmond school before the big split, before Santa Fe and North, Edmond was in the state championship against Jinx, and that was Rocky Kalmus. I remember Rocky Kalmus playing for Jinx in that game before he ends up at OU, and Jinx wins the state title. And then after that, obviously the Edmond school split, and I don't I don't remember an Edmond school making it to the state championship for a long time, if ever. Uh, that may, that probably was the last time. The last Edmond school I can remember being in the state championship was 1989 when Shea Foster was the running back and Bill Blankenship was their head coach. 
and they won the state title in ni- in nineteen in nineteen eighty nine. That's the last time I remember it. So you've got a, a little sharper memory than I do. I didn't remember them getting back there and and having a chance to play Rocky Calmus and Jinx. But you know, I'm still Colby. In a lot of ways, I'm shocked that Edmund split because. Growing up, what I did, it seemed like Edmond was a school, was a school district that thought along the lines of where Jinx is now, and it was just hard to imagine them ever breaking that school up because you had an influx of talent. You were going to have a ton of kids every year to choose from, and there, and every sport you could be really good at. So when they when they split, that was that was really shocking to me. It wasn't shocking when Norman split. Because Norman has never had the dedication to athletics that a lot of schools have had, but Edmund splitting it's still somewhat head scratching. Well, and it, it wasn't just a split from one to two; it was a split from one to three. I mean, that's that's the yeah. crazy thing, and that just I, the reason they I think the reason they had to split is because the growth in Edmund was at such a rapid rate. Uh, I mean, that's that's why they went from one to three instead of what most people do, and, and that's just create a second school. Um, I, I, I do remember around that time the conversation around Edmond being, you know, it was one of the fastest-growing cities in the United States. So I would assume just the rapid increase of students on a yearly basis, uh, you know, they were trying to get ahead of the situation where they were going to be so overcrowded that they couldn't control it. You know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, even when you're, even when you're thinking about that academically, because Broken Arrow is the biggest school district in the state, and <coughs> excuse me, and if you even mention split in that town, you'll get run out if you're on the school board. That's just not an option there. Um, it, a lot of it depends on what your priorities are inside your town, inside your school district. How dedicated are you to academics versus athletics? You know, how much, how small do you want those class sizes to be? Are you willing to just build a bigger high school and continuing to add on to that high school versus split? <coughs> Sorry, again. Um, but that's just something that that Broken Arrow is, you know, they'll, they'll build forever on that one high school. Big C will build forever on that one high school, and you'll never see them. You'll never see them go from one to two or – God forbid, three to four. That's just not happening. Not now, not ever. I mean, those those people, they they want to win state championships and they want their kids to have opportunities to win state championships. At least somebody else is finally getting that opportunity to uh, to win a title, you know, other <laughs> than like Jinx Union every single year. Well, it's, it's just that rare year. Um, and it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the thing you the thing you have to remember if you're Evan Santa Fe, and well, if you're the kid, you don't want to think about this. But if you're the coaching staff, you think about this. You just don't know when this opportunity is going to come up again. And it's hard to imagine that this is going that this will be that this will happen for you on a regular basis. And certainly, I mean, at this point, it doesn't look like it's going to happen for either one of the other Edmund schools on a regular basis. So you got to get it now. And it's really tricky at that age where, as a coach, you can convey sense of urgency without putting kids into a panic. 
Because the last thing you want them to do is go into that game and be overwhelmed. You want them to go into that game not only feeling like they've got a shot to win, but feeling like they are the better team. But understanding that you've got to get off to a good start. You have to take advantage. You know, you you any mistakes that that, that Jinx made, you, we have got to turn into points. You have to make sure that you know you're forcing them to three and out and if you're not forcing them to three and out if they go up seven to nothing this game is not over do not feel like you know they've got to understand there is no tomorrow and there may be no tomorrow next year and this may be the only chance for sophomores and juniors that you're going to get back to this but you've got to do it in a way where when they're out there they're, they feel free and easy they, they, they just have they they can let their hair down and go play football versus think about that moment and make it bigger than what it actually is. And, you know, that's what you see a lot of times in sports is when, when colleges have opportunities that they don't normally have or high schools have opportunities that they don't normally have, they shrink in that moment because all of a sudden it becomes too big. Now, especially if you get up. I thought that was going to happen to, to Santa Fe on Friday. They were up 21 to nothing, and you just felt like that wasn't going to be enough. Uh, enough to win the game and certainly as that game went on I mean Union was bigger and stronger and was able to assert their will offensively they just didn't ultimately they just ended up ended up not scoring enough points but I think by the time that game was over I still felt like Union was the better of the two teams on the field well let's uh let's transition into college football and I'm, I'm just curious what is the percentage level of confidence you have that Oklahoma is going to play Baylor this week? Um, uh, 60-40, it's not going to happen. It just kind of feels like, it feels like, you know, every week we're just wanting to get to Wednesday and see where those tests are. And and Baylor's had a lot of issues with COVID-19, but you know what, so is Oklahoma. And Oklahoma just released their reports yesterday, and there's still a good number of kids who have tested positive throughout the athletic department. And I just kind of wonder, you know, in a week, can you get it under control enough to have enough kids to go out and play? And we're seeing the issues that the Baltimore Ravens are running into this week. So I'd say 60-40 that that game doesn't happen this week, which puts OU into a bind because if that game doesn't happen and they go play West Virginia, even if they finish five and two, I think I read a scenario where percentage points could keep them out of the Big Twelve championship game. Is that is that for sure what they're gonna do? I, I hadn't uh, I hadn't seen any official statement from the Big Twelve and I could have easily missed it, but is I, did they did they officially say they're just gonna go to winning percentage? Well, now, according to Barry Trammell's article, that's what it felt like. Um, I think it would be very hard for the Big 12 to justify to OU that they did not get into the championship game over Oklahoma State if they both had the same same amount of losses. Right. Um, Of course, this could all be a moot point if Oklahoma State goes down to TCU this week and gets beat. Then... Maybe you know, maybe it doesn't matter at that point. But five and two, according to Trammell's article, seemed like Oklahoma was flirting with the danger zone there and could get out on. It could be out on percentage points, which you know, would be an ext- 
extremely, extremely weird, weird, you know, weird thing to cope with considering what this year is. And then you go from being in a New Year's Six Bowl to possibly getting to, you know, stuck and playing in a bowl in December that you're a hell of a lot better than if you're OU. Yeah, it's it's an odd scenario, and that was what my assumption would be that that they were going to just go off of percentage points. I also wondered, depending on everything else that was going on in college football, if if somehow they didn't collectively decide to maybe push the push everything back a week, like push the conference championships back, push the playoff announcements back, because this is happening in every conference. And I almost just wondered if at some point they just evaluate this thing as let's let's just pause for everybody so that we can get everybody back on the football field collectively and not just continue to put, you know, band-aids over each one of these individual individual issues, but uh it's it's wild that we're we're coming to this finish line in and and I would, you know, add the NFL to this. We're coming to this finish line and it just kind of feels like all of a sudden everybody is battling covid as well and I mean Ohio State's Situation is interesting. Also, one more cancellation. They don't even make the Big Ten championship game. Well, and one, I would, I, I completely agree with you. It would be the best thing. It was the best thing to do for everybody involved. Which is, is just pause, wait a couple of weeks, see if you can't get the virus under control enough, and then go out and play. That that would be that would be the smart thing to do. But it just seems that if you go back to the statements a couple of weeks ago, Bill Hancock's statement, it seems like this, and Bob Bolsey's statement, it seems like college football is determined not to play those championship games, not to play the, the playoff games any later than what they absolutely have to for some reason, which makes no sense. Because if you can push it back and you have to, and you have the facilities, even if you have to move the games this year, you can always go back to the Rose Bowl and you can always go back to the Rose Bowl or, or whoever, whatever the, uh, the other one is this year and say, no, we can't play it here this year. Let's play it next year. We'll move, we'll move things around as we need to, but for everybody's sake, for the health of everybody involved, we need to push this back a few weeks. And if we don't have the facilities, then great. Or if we can't play there, that's fantastic. We'll make it happen another way. And I mean, I guess the good news is what they're hoping for is that I think what this Minerva might have a, uh, might actually have a, a vaccine by the time Christmas rolls around. Now, whether or not college students can get that, that's, that's another discussion altogether, but, I certainly wouldn't be banking on that right now, and I wouldn't think that a vaccine would be readily available until about, oh, at the earliest for them, late January, early February. So, I don't know. This, this whole thing, Colby, and I don't know I'm kind of turning on you, but this whole thing seems very haphazardly done. And, and really, once athletic directors and presidents started looking at the amount of money that they were going to lose, that's when they decided that they were going to go forward. And it was consequences be damned. Well, here you are with the consequences, you know, possibly screwing teams out of an opportunity to play for something that they've rightfully earned, uh, especially OU and Ohio State. Yeah, well, and, and I think beyond that, I mean, you're risking your ability to make more money 
at the end of the season. I mean, that's that's kind of where I, I view this thing. It's I, I'm I'm all for them doing everything they can to make this thing happen, but if you have, I don't understand what the rush is to get it done by X date, right? Like, I think the one thing that we all kind of felt like was that time was on their side and that, and time has been on the side of everybody. I think in sports, nobody's been in a massive rush to get something done, understanding that, you know, this may impact multiple seasons. And if that has to be the case, that has to be the case. So, you know, again, I, my biggest thing is I don't understand what the rush is to get these, you know, to get these title games done on December 19th, to have your your playoff teams ready to play, what is it, New Year's Eve, I think, this year, or New Year's Day. Um, to me, it just, I, I don't see what the obstacle is that prevents you from playing conference championships a week or two after the scheduled date and, and you know, pushing that that ultimately national championship game back toward maybe the end of December. The only thing I can think of is if athletic directors, well, one, and this is just an assumption, so please do not take this as word of God, but one, it might be when the fiscal year, when when their fiscal year ends and begins, maybe that has something to do with it. But two, I mean, do you think that they sit out and they talk to coaches and coaches said, if we're going to have a normal season next year, that Spring needs to start by this date. We need to be wrapped up with spring by X. And by this date, we need to be in summer workouts and getting ready for the fall. Is is that kind of what they're working towards? I mean, it, it could be. Um, you know, I, I think regardless of what the situation is, I've been under the impression that it's going to be really hard to not have next season impacted in some way anyway. So, do your best to get through this season in whatever way you can and, you know, deal with that part of it when, when that part of it comes. I mean, we may, we may not even be rid of the virus by that point. So who knows? I mean, the 2021 season may be impacted as well. I don't think you can make decisions today based on hoping that 2021 is going to be a normal season. Um, you know, I don't know how much I, in past years, I know the conversation about finals and that break in December is always brought up as to, you know, why there's such a long break between bowls and the end of the regular season and all of that good stuff. But again, because of the, the current situation, I don't know how much of a role that plays, if any, in, in this specific season. I mean, it doesn't appear to be pl- playing a role because everybody's going to be playing well into December anyway. Yeah, and I, you know, one, one thing that you're you're losing with bowl games, if you're if you're a, a coach, I mean, look, you, you want to get those bowl games set as, as quickly as you can. Not talking about the playoff games, but normal bowl games. The reason the coaches value them so much is the extra practice where they, they really focus on their younger players. They're, they're, they're starting to use that instead of being bowl preparation as another spring for, for their team. And I know that that's something that a lot of coaching staffs value, and they want to know that as quickly as possible. But I'll say this, Colby. I mean, if fans can't travel, which they shouldn't, if this is all really just kind of a made-for-TV event with some of these bowls in December, is there any reason we should be having them? I mean, the playoffs I get. You want to crown a national championship, go ahead and do that. But the Alamo Bowl, the Texas Bowl, you know, the, the joke to pull on Weed Eater Bowl, the Independence Bowl. Is there any reason to hold those this year? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's an interesting conversation for sure. And look, I I don't even know that we are going to have them. I mean, there's still a ways before ways to go before those things actually take place. And we're at a point right now where so far the Red Box Bowl, Bahamas Bowl, Hawaii Bowl, Holiday Bowl, Quick Lane Bowl, Pinstripe Bowl, and Sun Bowl have already canceled their games. So, I mean, we're already seven canceled bowl games in just at this point. And, you know, who's to say that that the Independence Bowl or the Alamo Bowl at some point doesn't decide to follow suit? So, I don't think they're all going to cancel. I think there's probably going to be um, a, a mixture of, of bowl games and, you know, the actual, like, college football playoff matchups. But, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I, I think it's a valid conversation to have. I, I, what is the, what is the financial aspect this year for a bowl game when you can't have attendant? Like, how does how does not being able to have like your full attendance and all of that stuff factor into like the bowl payouts and stuff? Well, that, 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 that's that's a very good point. I was thinking about that myself because if you're an athletic director, knowing that there's going to be a budget, a major budget shortfall this year. And you may be faced with each still, even playing football, you still may be faced with cutting programs, making massive layoffs, and certainly uh, dealing with pay cuts. You want those bowl games played because you need that money. You need that seven extra $750,000. And if this year all you've got to do is dip into that payoff, take your team down there, and you're not worried about band and fly, flying alumni, you're going to get a bigger piece of the pie than what you normally get. But if I'm a bowl game, do I really want to write that half a million dollar check um, at smaller bowls, that $250,000 check, if there's no gate, there's no concessions, people aren't coming, and I'm relying on whatever ESPN is paying me for this game or whatever I'm getting for advertising. Because now I've got to worry about my operating budget for next year. And if you cancel it, you're still in that same situation. I mean, there's, there's no easy fix for this, but it doesn't seem like, it, in a way, it doesn't seem like, like the people who are running the bowls and the people who are running college football have really sat down and had any sort of conversation about this whatsoever. It just feels like, we're, it still feels like we're flying by the seat of our pants. And, and at the same time, Colby, and, and the one thing that can't be forgot is we're putting people's lives in danger by doing this. I mean, <laughs> how comfortable are you going to feel if you're, let's just say you're Arizona, all right? You get an invite to the New Mexico Bowl to play New Mexico. And you've got COVID-19 running rampant through your, your program. New Mexico doesn't. Are you really going to want to infect those kids? If you're the New Mexico coach, do you want to play an Arizona team that, you know, has, has had COVID-19 run rampant through their team all year? I mean, none of this, nobody wants to seem to talk about that aspect of it. This has all come down to finances. And that that's where it's, I don't know, that that's where it, it, it somewhat makes me ashamed of college football at this point. Well, I mean, even the NFL, I think it, I, it may have been Adam Schefter uh, yesterday that, that made the comment that he had talked to a couple Ravens players that said they felt uneasy about traveling with the team given how many players on that roster had tested positive over the last few days. Well, the Ravens shouldn't be playing. And if, and if the NFL was deadly serious about these, COVID, these new COVID restrictions, which 
the NFL really does this. I mean, you think about this for a second. Think about how the NFL always flexes its muscles to say that we're going to take on an issue, uh, whether it's COVID, domestic violence, whatever. They always flex. They always say the right things. There wasn't this get tough attitude. And then you just kind of see it fall by the way. There's not a lot of follow through. Follow through. Tyree Kill is a great example of that. I mean, if they really cared about domestic violence, Tyree Kill would not be playing right now. It's just that simple. If the NFL truly cares about COVID and keeping its players healthy and, and wanting players to follow the protocol, then you hammer the Ravens, not by losing a draft pick, not by finding them, but forcing them to forfeit not only this game with the Steelers, but their next game with the Dallas Cowboys. And you send a strong message that you're going to keep them out of the playoffs because, look, we're, we want you to be safe. We want the other teams to be safe. And if your staff or your players aren't going to follow the protocol, then this is how we're going to punish you. But the NFL is not, not willing to do that. They're, they're pushing this, this Steeler game back to Wednesday. They get the Cowboy game you know, scheduled next week. And I, I'm not sure what the end game is there. Are they serious yeah. about it or are they not? If they're serious about it, then hit them where it hurts it, it, instead of all, all these other charades that, that, that Roger Goodell continues, continues to put up. So Ravens-Steelers went from Thursday night to Sunday night to Monday night to Tuesday night to Wednesday night, and now it appears as though Ravens-Cowboys is potentially next Tuesday night. Like, we're, we're getting very close to that point. Unless the NFL wants to delay the start of their postseason, we're getting very close to this point where we may have teams playing middle of the week. We may have NFL football every, every night of the week, and we may have a bunch of teams playing in short weeks. Uh, well, hey, good for the fans that you're having it every night of the week, right? <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's, that's what we benefit. I mean, look, television lately has just been garbage outside of sports. So at least we're getting NFL action. But I tell you who needs to worry about this. The further that Ravens-Cowboys game gets pushed out, right, Jerry Jones gets more time to think about Mike McCarthy and what his future is in the Dallas Cowboys. Do and it, Jerry, do it. Is, Pull the trigger. <laughs> whether or not he is the head coach. So let's just say that game is, is scheduled for what? Next next Tuesday at this point. Well, Jerry's had Thanksgiving night. He's had all the weekend, all up to this point, all this week to think about Mike McCarthy's future. And we know how Jerry works. Jerry Jerry operates a lot of times from an emotional place. Jerry's not always the most measured person in the world. Now he could wake up one day and decide what the hell. But but he doesn't like That's to be wrong either. Jerry doesn't like to admit when he's made a bad decision, and it, I think it's pretty clear hiring Mike McCarthy was a bad decision. So is he willing to admit that he made a mistake with McCarthy in year number one, and I would add this as well, I am all for the Dallas Cowboys finding a new head coach. As a Cowboy fan, I'm not for them finding a new head coach within the season. Mike McCarthy is the perfect guy to finish off this tank job to get the Cowboys into a top five draft position, and then you pull the trigger. That's probably the wise thing to do. Uh, to answer the first question on that, because of Jerry's age, He's probably not as he's 
because of Jerry's age and the fact that he's in the fourth quarter of his uh, of his life, he's probably oh he's probably okay admitting that that he that he that he was wrong at this point. Um, not firing Mike McCarthy because more than anything, he wants to win a Super Bowl, and if that means that that he's got to eat a little crow and pay off Mike McCarthy to get the right guy in. Jerry's probably more than willing to make that move than he was in years past. Does Bill Belichick want out of New England yet? I mean, you're a Patriots fan. He that team not. is a disaster. He may, he, may, he, he may not, but Robert Kraft may want, may want him in change. <laughs> um, the question is, is that, you know, Robert Kraft has got to look at the way that, that this organization's been run. And, and and the bottom line is is that Bill as a GM over the last few years has not been very good. He's been very Jerry Jones-esque. I mean, the, the constant trading of draft picks to get more draft picks. I mean, it, it all works when you've got a guy like Tom Brady who can make everyone around him better. But when you decimate the team to the point where Cam Newton is the only reason you're winning and you didn't do him any favors by putting a lack of talent around him. And by God, poor Cam Newton looks miserable this year. I feel <laughs> bad for the guy. If, if you're Robert Kraft, you have, to, you have to ask yourself right now, is the Patriot way still working? And the answer to that is no, it's not working. You're, you are one of the, the smartest men in the NFL. And whether it's Dimitrioff, whether it's bringing back Scott Pioli, whether it's finding a whole new GM that, that has a completely different look, it's time for the Patriots to become a more prototypical organization where you have a GM, you have a coach, they either work in concert or the GM is, is making the personnel decision. And you're relying on him and the scouts, and, and the coach is just there to, to make it work. Either way, that's what you've got to do now. And for Robert Kraft, who has an immense, of a, immense amount of admiration for Bill Belichick, it's going to be incredibly difficult for him to have that conversation with a man that's won you six Super Bowls. Okay, let's not forget this. But you have to have a conversation with a man that's won you six Super Bowls and say, this isn't working anymore. Now, next year, they're going to have a ton of cap room. And they're going to have the opportunity to go out and sign all kinds of free agents. But if you're a free agent and you know the way Belichick operates, is that a place you're really beating down the door to get to? No. Because Tom Brady's not there anymore. Are you still going there to get your ring? That's always the thing that the Patriots had is, we can sign this guy for one year. We can give him money for one year. He's willing to take it. All he wants to do is win a ring. Well, now you don't have that. You don't even have a quarterback for next year. It doesn't seem like right. there's any real direction on how you want the organization to be built. Now is the prime time to have that conversation with Bill Belichick and just tell him, your way didn't work anymore. And I can't have you retire and leave the organization to your two sons. I, I can't do that. I've let you make all the decisions personnel. I've let you make all the coaching staff decisions. We need to do something different. And I don't know how you do that with a guy whose ego's that big. <laughs> it has the, you know, it's one thing to be didn't have the trophies in the case, point to, but he's got the trophies in the case to make a compelling argument 
So Robert Kraft better be better be willing to uh, you know better be willing to, to to have a knockdown drag out with Bill at the end of the year. That's the only way the Patriots can, can move forward. And I'm, I God, they're going to be the best drama of the off season. They're going to be the most interesting yeah. team to watch here over these next few weeks. So get your popcorn ready. Get your popcorn ready and turn on the NFL Network and rip the knob off because the drama that's going to play out is going to be fantastic. I think almost as good as the NBA. Yeah, he's he's the best that's ever done it. But I, I think like most situations, being in the same place for too long can get very tired, and that's just kind of the the feeling I have with New England. I mean, he's been there so long; uh, it, it's probably just time for everybody to have some new scenery. And look, here's the here's the ultimate setup when when you consider how bad everything seems to be going in Tampa with a team that has a lot of talent on it. How crazy is it to think that a year from now Bill Belichick is in Tampa Bay coaching Tom Brady again and they are real players in the NFC? It's not the most insane idea that I've heard. What you have to ask yourself is Brady left New England to get away from Bill Belichick. Those two their relationship hit an impasse by all accounts. So if you're the owners, you're the, you're the Glaziers, you're going to go down to, to Tom Brady, you're going to, you know, you'll walk down from your, you know, from, from your office and say, Hey, we're thinking about hiring Bill. And how well is that going to sit with him? Um, and the other thing with, with, with Brady and Belichick, which is hilarious is both of these guys want to win Super Bowls without each other. Yeah. They want to be able to – they don't want to be tied together for forever, um, which, you know, it's, it's understandable. I mean, if you're competitive and you're as successful as they are, you've got an ego. You want to separate yourself to some extent. Um, so I – it's not the craziest idea. It's just hard to see that happening because I don't think either guy – wants to have their their careers completely attached to the other. And for Bill, you know, if I'm looking at a place for Bill, um, I keep thinking Cleveland. I keep thinking that there might be a return to Cleveland in there where Cleveland just says, all right, you do what you did in New England. You're, com- you're in complete control, which would probably be bad for Baker Mayfield. But <laughs> right, I was about to say, Bill <laughs> Belichick and Baker Mayfield just seems like, oh, the the, the odd couple. Yeah, but that kind of, I mean, if I had to get, if Belichick was out of New England, I think a return to Cleveland would be huge for him because of him getting fired that year that they ended up leaving for Baltimore and that kind of being the only blemish on his resume of not not being a, you know, that organization was successful and then it all fell apart when the move was announced. I, some redemption there would, would would make a lot of sense. You know, Baker Mayfield to the Raiders, Baker Mayfield to you know, any number of teams after that. But that, if I had to bet, that's where I think Belichick would end back up with Cleveland. There's just something about that 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 I want that I want to see. I want to see if you can go right that long. All right, let's certainly uh... it won't be the Jets. Let's hit some college football and and the college football playoff ranking. We're going to get our second ranking tonight. Um, Oklahoma's number 11 in the first ranking, and I think the the game cancellation on Saturday 
was big for one main reason. Oklahoma had a lot of momentum, and I, I don't know how many people thought Oklahoma was, was going to be in the top 10. I certainly didn't. Um, I, I was honestly surprised they were at 11. I, I thought they were going to be closer to maybe 13 or 14. Uh, but the fact that they were 11, and when you consider who's above them and how easy it was going to be for them to move potentially all the way into the top six, like within a week or two, I thought missing out on the momentum of the way they beat Oklahoma State and not being able to capitalize on that momentum a week later was just terrible in terms of just how they're going to be viewed because I, I felt like they kind of just had that that ball rolling down the, the hill, if you will, in terms of just the perception of where they were going. A little bit, but, but they did get some help this week. Northwestern losing probably helped them out. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Iowa State is able to leapfrog them after that win over Texas. And maybe we see OU stay at 11, Iowa State gets into the top 10, or maybe they're both in the top 10 by, by the end of tonight's rankings. But if there's one thing that I'd be on the lookout for is what the committee thinks about Iowa State. Because they do have a win over OU. They've got a win over Texas. And how much is the committee holding that that first game loss to, was it, um, I can't remember, they lost to Louisiana, right? It seems like every Big 12 team lost to yes. Sunbelt team. Yeah. So, the, so they lose to Louisiana. Where does the, what does the committee think about that loss? Um, but that's what I'm looking for tonight. It does Iowa State leapfrog OU? And, and I do think that that could possibly happen this week. Um, it, it could. The, the good thing is, I mean, if if – this whole conversation is irrelevant if Oklahoma doesn't make the Big 12 championship anyway. So the good thing about that is that gets to play itself out at the end anyway. So it's not really a big deal if Iowa State jumps Oklahoma. In fact, it might actually be better for Oklahoma if Iowa State were to jump them and then they have the opportunity to beat a higher-ranked team in a, in a championship setting. No, I absolutely agree with you on that. And, and, and the other thing that I'm looking for tonight uh, more so than Oklahoma, is what are you going to do about Ohio State and A&M? Because the truth of the matter is, Ohio State keeps getting games canceled. And you may think they're one of the four best teams in, but with them playing so little, with, with them playing so many more few games than, than A&M has, I think you have to make A&M four this week. You should make A&M four this week. And it's not so much a punishment for Ohio State as much as it is. This is just kind of the way that the season is, is played out. Some of this is beyond your control. And, and I got to wonder if it's the Big Ten. I, I really do wonder what the powers to be at the Big Ten are thinking since they decided not to play the game or, or decided not to play uh, the beginning of this year. Do they? still feel that it was a wise choice to rethink that and, and crank up the season again, considering they, they, they can get left out of the playoffs and, and have an undefeated Ohio State team. I, I wonder what, they, what they're really thinking right now and if they, if they really do feel like this was worth it or would they have been better off just trying to cobble something together in the spring. It depends on on what angle we're we're having that conversation from because from a perception standpoint, I, I think you might be right, but from a from a revenue standpoint, I mean the answer is yes. It makes all the sense in the world to play as many games as you possibly can, even if that ends up only being like four or five. So um, 
from a money standpoint, playing football is is good, even if you can't get a complete season in or your teams get left out of a playoff because they haven't played enough games. But yeah, I think from the perception standpoint, um, I, what you're saying might be valid. And, and look, this is why I thought it was really interesting as far as the college football playoff and not really setting any parameters for like qualifiers to even be eligible to play in their final four. Because honestly, like if you're the committee, you can do whatever you want this year. You can put whatever four teams you want to put into that thing, and there's not really a wrong answer. I mean, it, nothing is in a normal year. I think it's hard to compare, like Ohio State to Texas A&M. They don't even, you know, they don't sh- they don't play the same opponents. They play in different conferences. They've probably played a, a different amount of games, thirteen and twelve. Non conferences probably look nothing alike. Like there are so many uneven factors in a normal season much less a year like this where you may have one team playing six games, the other team playing 11 games. What is one loss in 11-game season versus no losses when a team can't control how many games they ultimately get to play? Like, they can make whatever decision they want to make, and there's not really a way for any of us to to actually say that's the wrong decision, right? I mean, like, how do you do that? If, if they And they've already kind of set the tone for that by saying, we're watching the tape, and this year how you look, the whole eye test thing matters more than it ever has. Oh, we can always argue. It doesn't mean that we're, we're right. But <laughs> right I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that being our job and fans being fans, I mean, and you know, you always want to feel like you got screwed to, to a certain extent. So there's always going to be pushback and, and, and criticism and, and you're certainly going to hear it. I think for, for this year, you know, we have looked for, most of the time in college football, we have looked for the four best teams at the end of the year or the two best teams at the end of the year since the BCS came in. And we wanted to have what we felt like the best team in college football get crowned the national championship. The best, not which is not necessarily the most deserving. Right. This is what this is one year where if you wanted to say Cincinnati is more deserving than Ohio State, based on number of games played and starting earlier and them putting their players at, at risk a lot sooner, I wouldn't have an issue with that. And I almost think that this year is is set up so you can have. You can have the most deserving teams in, instead of necessarily the best teams playing at the end of the year. Which, honestly, if you're asking me who the best four teams in college football are right now, I'd say Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and then at that point, flip a coin, A&M or Notre Dame. I've been really impressed with Notre Dame, but I honestly think that Clemson had their full allotment of players. They probably win that game in South Bend. And you're you're going to see that when they meet up in the in the ACC championship, provided that Clemson is healthy. Um, that being said, you know Ohio State's in a bind because how do I justify it? Cincinnati, well, you played more games, you're undefeated. Yeah, maybe you're you don't look as well in the eye test, and maybe your schedule wasn't as tough, but. You know, you've played 10 games. You've played eight games, nine games. They've played five. I'm not going to put that team in that only played five games. Sorry, Ohio State, that's just the breaks this year. If you want to complain, complain. Complain to your conference. Don't complain to, don't complain to us on this. 
because it wasn't us that forced you to start at the end of October. You could have very easily started at the beginning of September and your conference just chose not to, and you didn't push hard enough. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the right message to send or not, but that's exactly the message that you are sending. Well, it, it's, you know, the, the interesting part of this with college football is every year we get into this debate about, you know, how you select four teams. And at the end of the day, it's always the best four teams in college football. Like, that's what they're trying to do. But in a normal year, it kind of feels like you take into account all these other elements to, to kind of make that decision on how, on who you view as the best four teams. Like, you mentioned the most deserving teams. Like, that, that feels like it's part of the equation in a normal year, whereas with this year, it doesn't feel like it's part of the equation at all. Like, they are... I don't think they're going to go that route whatsoever because again, like how can you, how can you compare, you know, Clemson at seven and one or eight and one, whatever they are now to Cincinnati. Like it's not even in the same ballpark. There's no way that you can actually like compare what those teams have faced on a weekly basis and all the elements that go into it, strength of schedule and all that to, to one another. So like it, you have to, you have to just watch film and say, I think this team is better. But the danger in that, and this is what this is always why it's interesting in college football, is you know, what's the point in playing a season if if that's the scenario that we have? I mean, why not just every year go into the into the season saying, Well, we think Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and like name your third team are or the fourth team. We think these are the best four teams, so this is just what it's going to be. Like it almost feels like most seasons it's predetermined anyway, but when you take out when you take out what actually happens on the football field from the equation, then then it just it, it kind of just becomes a free for all. That well, and that's where they they've kind of put themselves this year, yeah. um, and really through 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 no fault of their own. I when when right, we right. shut down in in March, none of us had any idea of just how long this was going to be. It was going to be a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And you know, it turns out it's, it's something that, that we as Americans do a really bad job of under control. Uh, unlike Taiwan, who's done a really good job of it. So now you're just, you've got this hodgepodge of scheduled teams, not a lot of common opponents that you've got to compare. And it, it comes down to eye test, games played, and the, the bad thing about that committee is is that you've got there really aren't any neutral parties on that committee. I mean, no matter no matter what you say, everybody's got their own interest. Absolutely, and you've got you've got your people from the Big Ten there who are, and we all we get back to the one thing: it's all financially motivated. So if you're Barry Alvarez, and I can't even remember if he's still on the committee, but if you're Barry Alvarez. You're going to fight like hell for Ohio State. You're going to, you're, you, you just have to because them going is going to make the conference money and that money is going to filter down to Wisconsin. If you're joking, Sigley owned, you know, you can't fight for OU, but you sure can for Iowa State, um, even though they may not deserve it. So it's this with everybody looking for that. You know, with everybody looking for their piece of the pie, this is going to get it's going to get nasty this year. I mean, this may be the nastiest conversation you've seen between the playoff committee since this thing first first came in. 
And I think it's going to be very hard to get everybody to agree to the four teams they, they, they think deserve to be in it. But ultimately, it will come down to what they ultimately think will make the most money for, for, for them. I mean, that's, yeah, that's exactly. what it'll be. Yeah. You know, even if they weren't going to make it like a public situation, this would probably be the year where within that room, they set certain parameters for what they're going to take into consideration. Like if you don't play six games, we're not going to consider you. Um, you know, maybe if you have more than one loss, we're not going to consider you. If you're not a conference champion, we're not going to consider you. Like it almost feels like this year more than ever, even like I said, even if it's not like something they're writing into the way they're doing this, they just, they, they come to a handshake agreement within that room. Like, we're not going to put a non-conference champion in our final four this year or something along those. Like there has to be some sort of jumping off point. I feel like this year, maybe more than ever, because again, in, in other years, there, there are reasons why maybe you can make the case for this team over this team and blah, 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 blah. Like we understand how this thing works every single year. But when you're like, like I said, when you're comparing these teams that that there's just no way to honestly compare them when when the games are not even close when the schedules are not even close when one team's undefeated but another team has played twice as many games and has a single loss like maybe this is the year where they just need to say hey if you win a conference championship you're eligible and that's how we're going to do this but if if you're not then you're just left out or maybe they've already come to the decision within that room if ohio state doesn't get to six or seven or however many games played we're not going to put them in the final four. Like, I don't think it's something that they have to just make public, but within that room, I think they can come to some sort of agreement that we need to set some sort of parameter, some sort of qualifier to even be eligible for us to, to put you into a final four. The, the only problem with that is what do you do with Clemson and Notre Dame if they split? Yeah, well, do, you tell, do you tell Notre Dame we know you beat Clemson, especially in a year where they weren't even on your original schedule and you just got loaded with them. We know you beat them. You probably had an advantage because they weren't their full team, but because they won the conference and beat you the second time, we're going to keep you out of the playoffs. They're going to be very hard. And first of all, I think if there's any chance to put Notre Dame in, they're going to do it. Yeah, um, They have proven that time and time again, although smartness, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, if you keep Notre Dame out and sort of circle the, I mean, this is where it gets political, but you circle the wagon and send a strong message to the folks at Notre Dame that, hey, if you really want to be in our club, then join the ACC full-time. Figure it out. Because we're going to keep you out as long as, long as you're independent, we're going to keep you out of it. We're going to keep you out. Even though it may hurt us financially, we're going to make sure that you are, you may be five, but you're never going to be four. You're never going to have that opportunity to be in the playoffs until you're a part of a conference. That's what I would do if I were them, but I'm kind of vindictive that way. Well, let me get, let me get your opinion on this. And, and this isn't going to come into play this season because there's not a team that would jump into the, the ranking ahead of these two, but but just for the sake of argument, let's pretend like, I don't know, um, let's let's pretend like Oklahoma is 10 and0 and they are the number they're the number three team and we'll just say Clemson wins the ACC 
They're a one-loss conference champion. They've avenged their only loss. They're in. Alabama's in. And let's just say that you had Ohio State go 7-0. and They win the Big Ten Championship. And you're comparing 7-0 and Ohio State as a conference champion to, what would that be, 11-1 and Notre Dame, who lost their conference champion, but did beat that team earlier in the year. Like, what's the comparison there? Um, ooh. I, honestly, I, I, one, you do the eye test. You go back and, and look at the film, and you have the discussion about who you think is the better team. And of the two, who do you think has, has the best chance of winning two games? Which one of these teams do you think, if we put them on the field, can beat the other three teams that, that, that we're considering? Which one has the best shot to beat all three? You start there. You have that discussion. Then you get into the discussion of, okay, let's say we've determined it's Ohio State, but they've only played seven games and Notre Dame has played 12. Notre Dame did beat Clemson. And now when you look at the deserving, and at that point you you have Notre Dame, I think you ultimately have to go with, in that case, you have to go with the team that you think has the best shot to win a national championship. Because if you can make the argument that you don't see, look, we think Notre Dame's good, but they beat Clemson shorthanded. We don't think they would beat Alabama. We don't think they would beat Oklahoma. But we have a feeling Ohio State can beat all three. Then you throw Ohio State in. Yeah. Well, see, and and I gave that example because that, that kind of takes, like I think in that scenario, that takes all of the you know, maybe bias toward name programs out of the equation that takes the conference championship and undefeated record out of the equation. And it once again, simply becomes who do we think is, is the better team. And so I think that's the way they're going to do it this year. Like if Alabama, I'm convinced if Alabama loses to Florida in the SEC title game, unless it's a blowout, Alabama's in They're They're not getting left out. Even with a loss on the final week, they're in. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think there's I don't think there's I don't think there's any scenario right now unless Alabama were to lose their last two games that would keep them out of of the college football playoff. Right, but that's not happening. Um no. Uh not not now. I mean and who do who do they have left? They've got L S U which is bad. And then most likely what's the other one? They're gonna play Florida. Florida, yeah. Um and, and It'd be interesting to see now if Florida beats them, it'd be interesting to see what what then happens. Because is there an opportunity if Florida beats Alabama and Clemson beats Notre Dame that you have an all SEC ACC Final Four? Yes. Which I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a problem with. No, I think those would be the best um, four teams. I agree. I, the, the only the only thing I would have a problem with is that AM beat Florida, and if AM's only losses to Alabama, I would honestly, for the first time in my life, feel bad for Texas AM for being left out. <laughs> yeah, I, I know they because beat Florida. They, they just don't look like they're on the same. Like, we, again, we go back to eye test. I've watched AM play, and they are not on the same level as Alabama, Clemson, or Notre Dame to me. So. Yeah, I man, Florida looks really good right now. Um, Kyle Trask is just Kyle Trask is on is on another level, and and I 
I honestly, other than him, I don't know who was another good Heisman Trophy candidate, maybe a, a candidate other than maybe Fields. Um, I'd vote for Zayvon Collins of Tulsa, but I know that that's going to be more of a regional thing. Um, but it, I would think that if Florida beats Alabama in the SEC championship, that both of those teams get in. I agree. And I would think that, that if Clemson and Notre Dame play another tight game and Clemson wins, I think both those teams get in. Um, unless, just unless they want Ohio, unless the committee just wants Ohio State for some reason. But I have to think Notre Dame's going to bring more more eyeballs to the set than, than necessarily Ohio State will. I mean, they're both good programs, but I, I the intrigue of having Notre Dame there will probably be too much for the committee to pass up, even though they should. Yeah. Even though they should screw Notre Dame to the wall, they'll find a way to put them in. Yeah. What, what will be interesting is what happens if Notre Dame beats Clemson a second time. Clemson's out. I mean, there's there's not a realistic argument to keep Clemson in uh, when they've lost to one of the final four teams twice. Uh, so that may and Alabama wins out. So you get a guaranteed Alabama Notre Dame. But then let's say Ohio State doesn't play in the Big Ten championship. They have another game cancellation, and they're not a Big Ten champ. I don't know that they're guaranteed a spot. Maybe they would get the third spot. But if you have an unbeaten Cincinnati. The rest of the way, who, you know, at the end of the day gets to claim a conference championship. If you have the one-loss A&M situation, um, I don't know, you know, if does does Oklahoma even get consideration against Cincinnati and A&M as a Big 12 champion if they were to run the table the rest yeah. of the way? So, yeah, what, what happens in that well, scenario? I, I think that's really interesting. I think at that point, A&M gets in. I, I think A&M gets in, no question. Um because the committee loves the SEC and, you know, why not? You know, why not throw an A&M? And for political reasons, and and people will tell me I'm crazy for this, especially my co-host, but for political reasons, yeah, I think OU gets in over Cincinnati. Because I honestly feel that even though Cincinnati may be more, the, more deserving than OU at that point, is that they would like to keep the group of five of the playoffs. Yeah. Now, politically, yeah. you could put them in and say, all right, you know, we played nice. We, we, we put you in. And then when they leave them out every other year, they can always point to this year and say, look, you really have no reason to complain. You know, we put you in. But I do think a two-loss OU team would get in over an undefeated Cincinnati. I could be completely wrong about that, but it's just, it's hard to imagine them putting in a group of five, especially BYU. And BYU's not technically a group of five. They're independent. I don't think there's any way, I don't think there's any way BYU gets into the final four. No. If they're if they're the highest ranked non-power five team and they're undefeated, and you're looking at a two-loss OU, OU will definitely get in over Brigham Young. And the, most likely they yeah. get in over Cincinnati. The only way I could see that maybe like being... Here, here's a scenario for you. So, Ohio State, Michigan cancels on Ohio State. Ohio State's not going to be able to play the total number of games required to play for the Big Ten Championship. So, they're sitting out on that final weekend. <laughs> Ohio State, BYU decide they're going to play each other on the final Saturday of the college football season. Maybe that punches one of their tickets. Um, it could punch... 
Ohio State more than Brigham Young. I Brigham Young doesn't have a hope in heck of, of getting in. And wouldn't that be just like Michigan? Oh yeah. They, I, I mean, think it. <laughs> dang it! They've lost he eight in a row to Ohio State. They've lost eight straight to the Buckeyes. And now they could they could actually beat the Buckeyes by not playing and preventing them from from getting to the Big Ten title game. If I'm the Michigan athletic director, guess what? Everybody has COVID this week, and they Even stink anyway. They're going to get negative. they're going to get routed in that game. Yeah, if if I'm the Michigan athletic director, we've got 45 cases on the football team of COVID between staff <laughs> and players. There's no way we can play this game. Yeah, I would I would. Them so bad. Oh, oh my god, I'm evil, totally evil. But why not? Yeah. I mean, at that point, first of all, Jim Harbaugh doesn't want to play that game. No, he does not, and he's probably on his way out anyway, either by his own volition or by, uh, and I may have misused that word. Uh, he's either going out on his own terms or Michigan's going to push him out, and. He probably, he knows this year he can't beat Ohio State. He doesn't want to suffer one more loss. There is, Colby, now that you bring that up, I would bet you, I mean, I would bet you a steak dinner that that game doesn't get played. And and we're going to hear, I mean, Michigan's going to end up becoming like the Baltimore Ravens where they can't get it under control for a week. I mean, all they got to do is put some numbers on a piece of paper. I mean, it's, not like anybody's going to be watching them test. Right. That, God, that makes all the sense in the world to do that. And think about that. Yeah. <laughs> can, can, can just stick it to Ohio State by not even showing up to the game. All right. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Whatever. <laughs> and and honestly, if you, if you really, if there's as much hate as people say there is within that rivalry, you've lost eight in a row, you have a horrible team. I, I I wouldn't put it past them. I would I honestly at this point Auburn, it would be surprised if that game actually happens. Prove to us you hate each other more than Auburn and Alabama. <laughs> right. Prove to us that. Prove to us by not playing that you really hate Ohio State. I you do this big thing on HBO. All of us who live south of the Mason Dixon line thought it was really cute how you were talking about hate because we've got OU Texas and Auburn Alabama, right. LSU Ole Miss, all these. All these Yankees, they think they hate each other so much. They are so cute. Bless their hearts. Prove to us, prove to us that you are more vindictive than we are. Yeah. Because Auburn would do that to Alabama. Old Miss would do that to LSU. Texas, oh, you would definitely do it to Texas if they could. There is no doubt in my mind that if oh, you could screw Texas somehow, they would. <laughs> prove to us. Yeah. Well, that's your hate. Let's let's see it firsthand. Don't play that game. All that I can, all, be, all I can hear the is the emperor saying, "Let the hate run through you." Yeah. Embrace the hate. <laughs> Clayton Bigsby, let that hate out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hey, um, is is Tom Herman done at Texas? By the way. Uh yeah, yeah, he is. Um, I mean. Whether it's this year or next year, yeah, he mentally he's gone, um, and that pro that program's in, in, in absolute tatters. 
The only way he doesn't get fired this year is if they can't land Urban Meyer. Because your problem is, is you just don't have a good second choice beyond Urban Meyer. Luke Fickle? You've already tried Nick Fickle. Well, the problem with Luke Fickle and the problem with, with Matt Campbell, because those are two names that have come up. Yeah. They don't have the, they don't have the ties to Texas. Now, give Bill Haston credit. He comes on our show every week. He brought up what Matt Rule did at Baylor. And could Luke Fickle and could Matt Campbell go down to Texas and hire guys who have ties to Texas high school football, even if, even if, a couple of them are high school coaches, like well-known, good high school coaches. Not um, not guys like Art Bryles was, who wasn't very liked as a high school coach, but guys who have really good reputations. Um, if they could do that, then yeah, they're going to be real successful. And both of those guys would be great hires to go to Texas, but they would have to do that. Um, unfortunately, aside from Urban Meyer, who's just Urban Meyer. Okay, and then walks in with all his Urban Meyerness. Although that dude's going to piss off Texas high school football coaches. There's just no way around it. But he's Urban Meyer, so kids are going to want to play for him. The only other two choices you have to take that job are not leaving where they are, and they're not. It's not Nick Saban. It's Lincoln Riley and Dabo Sweeney. Because if you were to just put in a prototype of what Texas of what a Texas football coach should be. It's those two. And Lincoln Riley's probably better because he's got all the Texas ties, but he's not leaving OU for Texas. Right. I mean, if you're Crystal Conte, you're stupid. If you're Crystal Conte, you are stupid not to at least send those overtures to him. Not to con- You are stupid if you do not contact his agent. You do it for, if anything, to mess with OU a little bit. Um, you have to. And just, just, Throw the worm out there, see if the fish bites. Most likely it's not, but you do it anyway. Um, and then after that, the pickings get real slim. So you're probably better off with Tom Herman for one more year until another candidate arises. Now, one guy we haven't thought of, um, and his name hasn't been mentioned, but why not, why not reach out to Matt Rule? Take that, you know, he... He yeah. was able to do it at Baylor, and we're sitting here saying, well, Matt Campbell and Luke Sickles should follow a template. Well, get the guy that created the template. See if he'd be willing to leave the NFL for Texas. Yeah. He'd be crazy, too. He'd be nuts to leave the NFL if he just doesn't, you know, especially if he's kind of done with the whole college game recruiting. And Yeah, you have to ask um, the question, though. You I know, mean, be, make him tell yeah. you no. But it, so if you're... If you are Chris Del Conte, Urban Meyer's your first choice. After that, you contact Lincoln Riley, Dabo Sweeney's agent, you contact Matt Rule's agent, and you see if any of those fish bite. I would doubt that you can get any of those three, but those those are your three targets. And in order, it's Lincoln Riley, Dabo Sweeney, Matt Rule. Those are the guys that you want. Um, I would call Luke Fickle. I would also call P.J. Fleck. PJ Flex interesting. Yeah. That would be an interesting hire. PJ Flex is so not Texas. No. Which is probably what they need. He Yeah, he is the he is the <laughs> catchphrase guy. Yeah. 
And just, which here's the thing about PJ Fleck, because the guy is obviously a good football coach. He really is. But does his demeanor, does it work down there? Are they going to be accepting of the, the row, you know, row the boat, you know, all the, the motivational things? Or, or, or are their fans going to, going to buy into that? Is their alumni going to buy into that? I mean, he's not very stoic. And he's certainly not a good old boy. Does that, does that play, or, or is he a little bit like Makovic, where good football coach will fish out of water? I think just given where the program is right now, it works because they, you know, like we saw it on Friday, right? Brees Hall was like five-star players against five-star culture. Like, that's their problem. They need a guy like a Matt Campbell, like a P.J. Fleck kind of guy that's going to go in there and establish a work-hard culture. Otherwise, they're never going to climb out of the hole they're in. It's just not going to happen. You need, I mean, Charlie Strong... (laughs) God bless Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong tried to do that. Um, I mean, he went and bought Coaching for Dummies and Coaching 101 and, and, and read all the stuff and did it publicly. But the last thing you need is a guy who comes out publicly telling you everything that he's doing to make the program tougher. It, it just needs to be something that happens. I mean, there just needs to be a guy that can walk in and yeah. establish a culture of toughness, a guy that a guy that the players somewhat fear. I mean, there needs to be, that's the one thing that the Texas players have not had for a long time is they haven't had a fear factor. And Matt Brown started off with it. He kind of lost it once he started recruiting Chris Dent. Because at that point, and what's interesting is Matt won a national championship after that, but it just kind of felt like Matt, if they Feared Matt, it got lost somewhere in translation. But you need a guy to walk in that they fear. I mean, you need that guy to walk in, and every player needs to feel like their scholarship is on the line. Yeah. Well, like, Mac is an exception to the rule because he's such a great recruiter that I think he he can overcome some yeah. of that with just his ability to spot talent and and also be, be able to bring it in like they they just didn't miss when he was there you know for for almost a decade on no. high level players like all those dudes hit and went on to the NFL yeah i mean and you can just go down the list of them mm-hmm. um and he was really he was really good at getting quarterbacks too because i mean if you think about it major applewhite um all right so chris Sims, not so much but then he had colt mccoy you had Vince, uh you had Vince young in there, um, you didn't. Ha- I mean, after that, though, I mean, Case McCoy. I mean, some of those things got a little weird, but yeah. I mean, what what Texas what Texas players need to feel like is they gotta earn they gotta earn that scholarship that it's not guaranteed now. And I'm willing to and I'm willing to cut bait with anybody here because y'all haven't done a thing to make me think that I have to keep any of you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what draft grade you have. I don't care where you were ranked in, 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 in the recruiting, how many stars you have. You need to have the fear of losing your job, losing your scholarship. I mean, telling them they can't come into the locker room, making them walk to the, the practice facility. I mean, whatever. I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah. You know, the zero tolerance crap that the Charlie yeah. Strong had. 
I mean, all that's great. I mean, all that is it's just words. But it's when players really feel like, oh my God, this guy really, you know, there's kind of, there needs to be a cleansing. You need to see kids jump in. You need to see a record number of kids jump into the transfer portal. But it's, it, it's a delicate balance of you don't want to decimate the program any further than what it is. But kids have got to, kids have got to realize that, you know, it's nothing guaranteed in this life. And Meyer, I think Meyer's the one guy that once he walks in, he's got everybody's attention. Yeah, without a doubt. And I don't think he'd be, I don't think he'd be anybody's friend. I think the thing with Fleck, it works in Minnesota because I think Fleck is too friendly with the players. I think that's why he wouldn't work at Texas. And you need someone that's just, that just does not care. Doesn't give a damn about the kids, and once you get that, you'll be ro- you'll be rolling again. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're Oklahoma, um, you better hope that Tom Herman sticks around for a while because Texas isn't getting any better with him in control. No. Um, and I, I honestly think Urban Meyer going down to Texas helped Oklahoma a lot. Um. Because Oklahoma's needed to establish a culture of toughness for a long time. Well, Oklahoma, in, in order to establish that culture, needs to be pushed. And right now, they're not they're not really pushed in the Big Twelve. Oklahoma's its own worst enemy. There's nobody out there that can beat Oklahoma more than they can beat themselves. And that's been proven this two yeah. these two games with K State and, and with Iowa State. So OU needs OU needs somebody that they fear. OU needs somebody that they feel like they have got to work harder than every week in order to beat them. Right now, OU knows they're going to outwork Texas. They're going to out-tough Texas. They're going to out-tough OSU. They're going to have – OU just knows they've got better athletes. They've got tougher athletes. OU needs a – they need a foil. They, they need someone that they fear on the recruiting trail. And right now, there's, there's no one to fear inside the conference. It's no all doubt. outside the conference. No doubt. Um, so I'm all for Urban Meyer going to Texas because, honestly, I think it makes OU better. I think he will make OU a better program, and he will make Lincoln Riley a better coach than what he already is. All right, so you're 60-40. The Sooners will not play. I'm uh, I, I, I'm 50-50, and I said even, I, I, I don't think I'll feel better about it until Thursday, so we'll see. <laughs> I hope I am wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I am so wrong. Yeah. And Tulsa, good Lord, they just, they've had, I, I, I said yesterday, it's like they've had the worst luck in college football off the field while having the best luck on the field. Yes. Uh, and they have lived a very charmed life on the field. They win games in the most unusual way, um, which, by the way, Zayvon Collins is just tremendous. And anybody that's not watching this team, look, they're the, they're the most fun thing on television. There isn't a series on TV that is more fun to watch than Tulsa. Um, you got to realize there's going to be some bad football plays on both, right. Uh, right. On both sides on both sides, them and the, and the opposing team. But defensively, they're probably the most fun team to watch um, in, in the state because they will make plays. And you've got to see David Collins and how they use this guy. It's their must-watch. They are anything but more. Absolutely.
Eric, always appreciate it, my friend. Have a good week, and we will chat again next Tuesday. Thank you. Sorry about coughing all over the place on you. I, I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, all good. All good. That's we'll, we'll edit it out. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Not really, but I'm just I'm saying that for your peace of mind. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel. Makes, you don't have to lie to me. It makes me feel better. There you go. All right. All right. It, it will be edited out. There we go. <laughs> all right, my friend. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. That is it for today's episode of the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. You can visit their website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on their line of products and how it can improve your daily life. It's an easy uh, order online, abotanicalcompany.com, easy and safe pickup. So again, check them out, doing great things within the community, and I'm really happy to have them on board with the podcast. All right, that is it for this episode. You can uh, comment or follow me on Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels, Instagram Colby.Daniels. Everybody stay safe, have a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.